Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, September 25th. And this is the Fistinados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email is fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. This week, we are going to answer that big question they came from the Q&A, how do you grow boxing in a couple of different contexts? Uh, but first, let's get into the review section. The big Mexican Independence Day weekend of boxing on Friday, September 13th. We had Devin Haney beating Zaire Abdulayev by KO4 for the vacant WBC interim lightweight title for whatever that's worth. Also on the card, Amanda Serrano wins Inano's decision over Heather Hardy, and Michael Hunter wins Inano's decision over Sergey Kuzman. Hunter's win was ho-hum, but significant because he wasn't the biggest favorite coming into the fight. Kuzman is a good fighter, and we learned a lot about Hunter uh, at heavyweight, and he's pretty good. I will leave it at that for right now. I'm very excited to see who he fights next in his journey there. The Serrano-Hardy fight was good TV. I definitely want to see more of these women. I'm a pretty big proponent of these types of women fights. You know, with the right matchups, they don't necessarily produce a bunch of KOs. But this was a great... I mean, this could... You know, this is basically the best actual fight that happened on on the card. Um, Especially after the first round. It was just fun TV. You know, I want to see more of it... It also, just as part of a TV broadcast, it moves pretty quickly. It's two-minute rounds. Enough on that, though. Let's get to the major focus here. Let's get to Devin Haney. Electric performance by Haney. This is now a couple in a row for him. But this was sort of the real first time he was a big main event on a card that got a lot of promotion. This was you know, a step up from what Showbox was for him. Which, you know, weirdly enough, I think actually Abdullayev could have been a showbox opponent in some in some ways, but Abdulab's pretty good fighter, pretty good talent. He's not going to be an elite talent, but it wouldn't surprise me if he comes back and actually has, you know, another shot or two at a real title. Maybe even wins an alpha belt, uh, belt, depending on how he can manipulate the system. He's clearly not an elite talent, but this was a big win for Haney. It was a big test for him. It is the first time where you really watched him fight. And you can start to translate what he can do with some of these top lightweights. You know, I think he has the kind of speed and the type of in-ring savviness that we, you know, and we've seen that improve over the last few fights. Like he's clearly learned a lot in the gym. I think if you fought Teofimo Lopez tomorrow, I'd probably favor Devin Haney. I think he'd need a little bit of seasoning to fight Lomachenko, but even if they fought a year from now. I would still probably favor Loma, but that's a close fight. And I mean, against Hank Davis, like you got to favor Haney right now, um, I, which which is crazy to say based on how much hype we've seen from Lopez and Davis. That Devin Haney, you watch, and I'm basing this all of one performance where we just saw how special that jab is and and how fast and what, what kind of ring savvy this is. I need to see more, uh, but I need to see more from all these guys. It's not like Lopez and Tank Davis have fought. Uh, incredible competition. They fought better competition than him. There's no doubt about that. But Devin Haney looked looked special here. Um, and even if you compare, look against like Comey and Campbell and that whole group of that sort of B plus level lightweight 
talent types. Maybe maybe they get to A minus level talent on on the right day. I mean, you those are good fights, even if they fought right away. I mean, you know, probably favoring Devin Haney. Maybe if he loses, it's a great learning experience. I think now he'll be on the November 9th card, uh, which I will touch more on later. But we're close, even at the age of 20, uh, with Haney, of just saying, like, let's put this guy in in some real fights. This weight class is, you know, stocked full of fighters who can offer all kinds of different challenges. I mean, Mikey Garcia is lurking out there. Haney can also move up to 140. There's great fights for him there. Um, overall, this is a really good, fun card on a Friday night for DAZN, and that was even without that you know, uh, MJ Roman fight. I mean, this is good stuff. So let's move on to Saturday the 14th, where we had a few different cards, uh, all of which were streaming. Let's start with ESPN Plus from Las Vegas, where Tyson Fury defeats Otto Valin by unanimous decision in a fight that stirred up some controversy, especially with the broadcast. We'll get to that in a sec. Emmanuel Navarrete wins by KO over one Miguel Elorde for his WBO Junior featherweight title. Jose Zepeda beats Jose Pedraza by unanimous decision in what was a pretty good fight on paper. It was also a pretty good fight in the ring. Before we start on this, on the streaming front, like I just got to say, like, especially with ESPN Plus, like we have to figure this out better. And I don't mean live. Like I watched the main event live. Um, I did not get a chance to watch the undercards live. Uh, I had a crazy day. I was traveling the following week for work. Like. I have a computer with me and a year-long subscription to ESPN Plus, which, by the way, I love it for the combat sport content I get, like most of which I watch live on my Fire Stick, and I have no issues watching it live on my Fire Stick. I have yet to have an issue. But this is now several events in a row where the tech for ESPN Plus has just kind of shit the bed. Like, let's go back to the Loma fight. I didn't mention this on the podcast last time. I have small kids. I needed to pause the fight because I was dealing with an issue with my three-year-old. Um, it took a while. I came back after only having watched two rounds, and I started it back up. It was a little scratchy because I paused it. So I reset it. And, you know, that happens with my fire stick. I need to reset it sometimes. For some reason, I wasn't able to watch the fight again until 8 p.m., because the event was over, which I just, like, that's really, I'm not even sure if that's a tech issue. That's just, like, a an, like what the hell is happening issue. Like, how come you have the event live and then you, your subscribers can't watch it again until several hours later? I mean, I didn't complain about it. I stayed off social media, which was actually very healthy and fun. Um, and I watched it after my kids fell asleep that night. This time, I'm, like, I'm traveling and I can't watch the Fury well, uh, Valine undercards on my computer I'm going to leave aside how slowly the whole thing moved and how late the whole thing started. If you're on the East Coast, um, every single boxing broadcast has this issue. I'm not going to lump this into to the tech issue here. But when you when we're talking about watching replays, and I can I can watch any replay on DAZN I want fine, but like somehow with ESPN Plus, I can't log in. It's not letting me log in, and this is like a critical essential thing to a streaming service being successful is not the first time I've had trouble experiencing this. Like ESPN, you guys have to figure this out. Like your tech is awful. And if Disney's OTT content platform is going to be anything like this, it will be an epic fail. I'm putting up with this because you have excellent programming value right now. But if this is how the Disney thing is coming, like I'm just going to, suffer through Netflix's awful kids programming because that's basically why I have that at this point. You know, somehow DAZN and Netflix just have better tech than ESPN Plus, and there's, I have no idea why. But even in the broadcast, like when you're going through a replay, the user experience could just be so much better. Like, I, I mean, God, I would, like, I would literally sit down with your tech team and just walk them through what you guys need to do. Like, it, I'll start right here. You guys want your fans to like the product? Like, don't give us a seven-hour program of fights. Or if you do, make it easy to skip ahead to the next thing without us knowing the result. Like, just have a skip function where if you're watching some undercard you don't care about, a graphic comes up and it says, oh, skip to this interview. Like, don't tell us that it's 12 minutes ahead. So if we're in a 10-rounder 
I know it ends in 12 minutes. I know it ends in a knockout. Like the whole point of watching this stuff is so you don't know what happens that you, you, sh- even if it's, you just know there's a knockout, like on these undercards, there's some big favorites. Like, no, you got to watch it. So you don't know what happens. But if you let me know, Oh, Hey, next segment is Andre Ward breaking down an upcoming fight. Like, and I'm watching a fight I don't care about. Sure, I'm in. I'll watch that. I'll just skip ahead to that and watch it. Or some big-time prospect in a six-rounder that I want to see. Great, I'll watch that. Teddy Atlas, talking about judging in this sport of boxing. I'll pass. I'll skip that. And then I'll just go watch the next fight after that. But have something like that. Like, and DAZN should do this too. You're sitting there watching some fight you don't care about, but next is Chris Mannix interviewing Oscar De La Hoya. Like, how do I watch it and then immediately watch it again from the beginning of the interview? That was great. No one gets this right. And by the way, the only reason Showtime and Fox aren't in this discussion is they aren't streaming first platforms. DAZN's tech is definitely the best here, but there's still room for improvement. No one gets this exactly right. I'm making an allowance here. Your program is great. You're offering great value for 50 bucks, ESPN+, Plus, but your tech is so bad it's affecting my viewing experience. I haven't complained. I'm complaining now. Rant over. I hope this doesn't come back to bite you when you launch all these big programs that really, you know, the Disney OTT stuff that is really going to affect your stock price because I hope you keep offering great value in terms of boxing in the UFC. And, and that and that doesn't cut it when you screw up on that part. All right. Anyways, now I guess the rant's over. All right. Um, I don't even know what to say about the fight card. Great win for Fury. He gets some horrible cuts. He overcomes adversity. Uh, is Wally, is Valine a lot better than anyone expected? Or did he really just lose eight, you know, nine rounds and got some, you know, press because he almost knocked him out at the end and got a good cut at the beginning? I don't know. I mean, I think Fury, maybe he didn't take it seriously. Who knows? He clearly won. Uh, regarding the broadcast moment where Tessitore intervened, like, I think Jake Donovan wrote a great piece on this for BoxingScene.com. I don't necessarily agree with his entire take. I do think this is a tough call. I think what Tessator did was probably over the line and a bit unethical from a broadcaster standpoint. But at the same time, the the referee did not properly communicate that the cut was caused by a punch. And you can make an argument that while what Tessator did was unethical for a broadcaster clarifying that critical distinction was actually extremely ethical in terms of what was happening with the fight. Uh, The Nevada State Athletic Commission quickly admitted they got this wrong, and it's not like ESPN just told Fury's corner and not Valine's corner about this. They let both corners know. Uh, I don't really think Fury's corner was going to stop the fight and then just assume they were winning on the scorecards and try to, like, win a cheap fight that way. I mean, maybe it crossed their mind, but it was, you know, Clearly very important for them to know what the distinction was. That got out there. Uh, and also, here's what I'll say to the real conspiracy theorists out there. Like, this... Two things. If this was a heavyweight fight with so much... Or had this not been a heavyweight fight with so much at stake, and rather just, like, a likable journeyman or somebody like that, everyone would have wanted the broadcaster to intervene and probably would have said they did the right thing. And the other part of this is... Like, and, and going back on that, like, look, Wilder Fury 2 could have easily been derailed by Otto Valine knocking out Fury in the 12th round or by Deontay Wilder losing to Luis Ortiz. Like, this is not a corporate mandate from ESPN to intervene. It's nothing like that. Tessator is a fight fan. He probably did the right thing for the sport of boxing. Other part of this PPC actually needed Fury to win that fight because Deontay Fury, uh, Deontay Wilder gave up the DAZN payday and now needs Fury to make his the, the most money he could make. Wilder's biggest payday by far is Fury right now. Maybe there's a scenario. I mean, look, if Andy Ruiz wins again, I still think his next biggest payday would probably still be Fury. Uh, it clearly, Ruiz would be part of that equation, very clearly. But, you know, Ruiz, you probably want Ruiz to fight once on pay-per-view, not against Wilder or Fury, and, and just establish what Ruiz's pay-per-view value is on his own. So, look, Gomez Tessator, I think he it's he didn't lie. He corrected a misinterpretation that was happening in the moment that could have led to a really, you know, weird outcome for the sport. Uh, was it his responsibility to do so? No. 
was it a little strange to do it on air? Yeah, but all in all, I think, you know, probably did the right thing for the sport of boxing. Was it, you know, how unethical was that as a broadcaster? I don't I don't really know. I mean, boxing is one of the only sports like this where there are weird uh, rules. Uh, that is, it's a gray area, but uh, you can definitely make an argument it, it was um, unethical. How unethical it was, I don't really know. But anyways, let's move on. Let's stay on Saturday, September 14th. Let's go to Carson uh, in California on the zone where Jaime Munguia beats Patrick Alatoy by KO4 for Munguia's WBO junior middleweight title. The Ryan Garcia-Avery Sparrow fight was on the card. That was canceled because of U.S. Marshals who arrested Avery Sparrow in L.A. as there was a warrant out for his arrest. Apparently, Sparrow, who is from Philadelphia and doesn't have a regular residence, was not aware of the charges against him. But then that led to, I think everybody kind of knew this was happening earlier in the week. This was supposed to be a tough style matchup for Garcia. It kind of led to this weird clash between Golden Boy and Ryan Garcia, ultimately ending in Garcia signing a new contract and, and making a lot more money uh, with Golden Boy. But it's just like this other weird mark against Golden Boy at a time where they're really having trouble with some of their main fighters, no, most notably Canelo, not Ryan Garcia, both Canelo and Garcia obviously have the same trainer. If you're a boxing hardcore fan, you know that. But that is clearly part of the equation as well. We talked about this a little bit last episode. I don't want to jump uh, too much into it now. But Golden Boy, you're on notice. All right? (laughs) If this stuff keeps happening, you are on notice. As for the main event, Munguia actually loses a round uh, or two. He shows some serious vulnerability to pure boxers. Ultimately, he walks through Alatoy and knocks him out with some vicious body punches. Uh, part, probably the best part of the broadcast was Mannix's interview with Oscar, which I, uh, referred to earlier, which just delves smack in, into all these issues that Golden Boy's having, you know, let's keep hearing it. I mean, that's look credit, credit to Oscar for getting up there and talking about it. Credit to DAZN for asking and, and Mannix for that matter, for asking tough questions about one of their main content providers. You do not see that in most other places. Uh, good stuff. All right. And <laughs> even before we move on, I just want to take a moment here. This week in particular, just so on brand for the sport of boxing. On a traditional pay-per-view big fight weekend, Canelo doesn't end up taking a fight because of a three-way power play chess match between him, his promoter, and his own. Then ESPN puts on a British heavyweight versus a Swedish heavyweight in Las Vegas to celebrate Mexican Independence Day weekend on ESPN Plus, not on regular ESPN, in a fate marred by major controversy over a broadcast decision. You know, I guess to credit boxing, not a controversial decision by the judges, which we which we usually get on this type of weekend, uh, but also where the gate. Didn't even get to a million bucks, uh, and and there were more comp tickets than actual paid tickets. I probably blame MGM for that way more than than uh, top ranker ESPN. I think they're the ones who wanted it. The UFC probably puts on the best fight card of the weekend. Then Ryan Garcia fight on DAZN. That co-feature fight gets derailed by U.S. Marshals, who are literally searching through area boxing gyms in L.A. to arrest a fighter from Philadelphia. And even though this is happening earlier in the week, Golden Boy and Ryan Garcia can't come to an agreement on a replacement fight, which leads to a much bigger public spat over contract terms, where Golden Boy essentially publicly behaves like the Trump White House, where they just go on this crazy offensive on social media, calling out their own fighters, ending up looking like petty schoolyard bullies. I mean, how on brand is this for the sport of boxing? I present you boxing in a big moment in 2019. Okay, great. I don't even know how you move on from that. Uh, Actually, actually Showbox gave us a great way to transition for that. From their fight, where basically a ring falls apart and Michael Dutchover loses a crazy decision on a cut. Um, I don't normally cover these kind of things, but I will say Dutchover will get another shot. Brandon Brandon Lee looked great with his KO. Um, Okay, okay. I guess that's how you transition. 
on Saturday, September 21st from Bakersfield, California. On FS1, we have Alfredo Angulo beating Peter Quillen by majority decision at super middleweight. Also on the card, Chris Colbert with a vicious KO. I think KO won. And Thomas DeLorme beating Terrell Williams by unanimous decision. The show is the number 81 cable show of the day, averaging 282,000 viewers. One side note here to the fine folks at Boxing Scene. I do enjoy your, your content quite a lot. I appreciate you, that you report on the viewing numbers here. You're really the only ones who do that uh, in a major way, so I really appreciate that. But if you're going to give the Fox Deportes and streaming numbers uh, in the headlines of your articles for what happens on Fox, then you got to do it for ESPN and Showtime as well, or at least give some context on that. You know, Really the significant thing here... Boxing on FS1, again, for the second time in a row, and I think the second time ever, builds on a Major League Baseball audience. And this fight ends up being the number two show of the day on FS1. Next, I think there was one of the college football games that happened real early in the day did better. This was number two for, for FS1, for FS1. Number 81 overall, FS1 obviously not, for whatever reason, not resonating in a huge way with audiences uh, when you look at the overall cable landscape. But hey, this is, we're seeing niche sports literally beating major sports. And I mean, I promise you, even with guys like Angulo and Quillen fighting in a main event, I mean, they're veteran guys, so they probably make more money than 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 some of the younger guys. Like, this type of programming is still cheaper than Major League Baseball. I mean, this is a win for boxing. I don't have a whole lot to say about what happened in the ring because I was entertained. Uh... It, they they were good fights. Like let's slow down on on fight of the year for for these kind of things. I mean these shows, they are fun. I, I will give them that. You know I don't. Some of the matchmaking I've, and I've questioned it before. When when you see this many prospects winning by KO one or KO two and like all of them with incredible highlight reel KOs, you wonder about the matchmaking on that part. Um, Quillen and Gulo. That is great matchmaking. I will give him that. But you feel you start to feel a little bit squeamish by the end of that one. I hope Quillen retires. I hope Angulo gets matched up properly in the future. I mean, if these guys face a real top guy, they're just going to get blown out. You know, I hope they've saved their money. Like this is clearly we're starting to see the end of the road here. Um, as far as the announcing goes for the show, I like I, in general. I like Ray Flores. I think he's good at calling the action. I'm not as high on Mancini, but these guys together turn up the volume. Really, really, really high. I'll leave it at that. Probably too high for my taste. All right. On to the deep dive. Like I said last episode, there was a question I think deserves its own deep dive. That that was one from John B. who asked, how do you build boxing? And in particular, since there seem to be a lot of journalists and core fans who have very strong opinions on whether the KSI-Logan Paul fight is good for boxing or not, and you have Eddie Hearn talking about how fights like this are how you grow boxing, like, we're going to dive into this notion here. And, you know, I want to start with a sort of a different point, like, especially in the context of this YouTube circus fight. Like, this is a false narrative. This is really a false narrative. Because how you grow boxing in the context of this... I, I want to talk about how you grow boxing in the context of this particular fight. But, like, more importantly, I want to explain what the false narrative is and how you really grow boxing. Because that's... I mean, spoiler alert, like, these things aren't it. They're kind of it in the system we have right now, but they're not really it. So let's start with this YouTube fight. You know, Eddie Hearn's been promoting this fight. If you watch the initial press conference and some of the stuff that's already come out, it's pretty clear this is not a fight geared towards core fight fans, and that's okay. I actually think to zone, this will generate a lot of subscriptions for them, and you could make at least a tangential argument here that boxing is slightly growing by that. A lot of younger people who are Logan Paul and KSI fans, and oh, there's a lot of them. I think there there's like 50 million combined YouTube uh, subscribers to each of their pages. I'm sure there's that's not 50 million uniques, but uh, that, you know, here's, here's what I like about this. At least these fans are going to be exposed to boxing in a way that is respectful. And before you say, oh, this fight is horseshit, it's not respectful at all, what I mean is that Logan Paul and KSI actually respect the sport. You can tell they take things seriously. They train hard for this. Uh, they, you know, they do all their paperwork. They do, you know, they, they, this isn't 
the the bagel guy fighting Screech or whatever uh, in some celebrity fight. Like these guys take it seriously. They train hard for it. Like we've seen Logan Paul in the corner of several undercard fighters in the last year. Like he's he's that's basically what he's doing right now. Like for YouTubers, these guys are relatively athletic. I mean, not for professional athletes, but for YouTubers. Like you know, they could have chosen to just fight in a street fight or fight in MMA. The notion that they actually are picking boxing without headgear, I mean, that's that's kind of cool. It's pretty respectful, at least if you're looking at how to expand the casual audience. I mean, this will probably do really well for DAZN, and you can make the argument that if Devin Haney fights on the undercard as the top undercard, there's a huge group of people out there who now will at least know who Devin Haney is on November 10th. And if Devin Haney is the one, is like who the guy we think he is, who the guy I talked about at the beginning of the show, like that's extremely important. The next day, these all these people are going to be like, oh, now I know who Devin Haney is. He looks like he's talented enough to be a candidate to be that pay-per-view star or that DAZN quote-unquote pay-per-view level star who's one of the biggest fighters in the world. And in order to do that, you need casuals to understand who you are. So I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is, does that grow boxing? It certainly grows DAZN's subscription numbers on a one-month basis, and you can make a reasonable argument that DAZN can do more of these types of things in the future to keep public interest and maintain some of those sub-numbers, or that a very small percentage of those people are just young and they already like boxing, and they'll stay subscribed. They'll think, oh, this is great. I like this. I want to watch more of it. It certainly grows the Logan Paul and KSI brands, and if they want to do more of them, maybe there's a weird argument that just it just engages their fans with boxing more. And like I said, it, it, as long as they continue to treat the sport with respect from their end, if Devin Haney gets that slot, it grows Devin Haney's brand, and certainly it increases his awareness to an age dem you know age demo age bracket that will likely pay huge dividends in the future for him. Does it grow boxing though? Eh, maybe a little. Bellator got some great TV ratings doing these kind of fights, and from time to time, honestly, I enjoyed them. You know, in the terrestrial TV world, it helps you sell enough ads that it keeps the lights on for a year, and that's great. And same deal for DAZN. If it sells enough subs that, that helps them increase their base of people, I'm not going to knock them at all for putting it on. And you can't say, oh, it, like this isn't the old HBO days where they put on one crap fight and everybody complains about it. Cause it means you're missing out. Like the zones, the rest of their schedule for the rest of 2019. I mean, it is strong. Like it is really strong. We're talking first six months of 2018 showtime strong, which is, I would put those up against any multi-month periods for over the last 10 or 15 years, maybe even 20. Do these extra viewers who tuned in to watch Kimbo Slice and Dada on the senior circuit of fighters on Bellator grow MMA? Did they do that? Maybe. They maybe did. I don't think Bellator has capitalized on it in the way it should for a variety of corporate reasons, but they could have. Maybe this will work out for DAZN. But if we're being very real on how to grow boxing, I'm not sure any of this in the long term, grows boxing in a significant way. I mean, it probably grows it a little. Every hardcore fan had to get into the sport somehow. Every casual fan had to get into the sport somehow. And it's usually a mainstream fight or a mainstream event that got you started. You know, in the current system we're in, this is the best way to grow boxing. You know, the narrative of, you know, boxing is, is once it went to pay cable TV, that was the start of making it niche. And look, that's true. And what I've always talked about on this show is there's all these other factors. I mean, if we're being honest, the best way to grow boxing isn't just to put it on ESPN or for free on Fox to larger audience. I mean, it's it's not just to put these circus events on that introduce the sport to a whole new crowd, some of which you'll probably retain and keep in the fold for the bigger events or maybe become hardcore, but most of which you'll certainly lose. You know, Right now, these types of actions might grow the PBC or Top Rank or Matchroom. They might grow the sport as a whole on the margins. But the real way to grow boxing is to form a league and behave as a professional entity. 
I mean, even coming from me, like I'm the guy that finds all these network deals fascinating. I mean, still at the end of the day, when you look at who is watching the sport on all these different platforms, like it's it's great that it's happening. Every single platform though has plenty of issues. I mean, even Fox, which gets the most average viewers per event, and shout out to my guy on Twitter, Brooklyn Brawler, uh, who's excellent with this type of data. Like Fox is only averaging 1.3 million viewers or something like that so far this year. ESPN's between six and 700k. I mean, look, there's definitely extenuating factors to both of these numbers. Like PBC has sent a lot of their best inventory to pay-per-view this year. And Fox hasn't given them a ton of great dates with great lead-ins. I mean, there's almost never a good lead-in. Much of the marketing push that we saw very early on this deal that went towards actual fights on Fox is now just being used to push the pay-per-views. And look, that's great for Fox. I mean, they're very clearly happy about that. It's, it's a great business for them to be in. But when you just look at who's watching it on, on TV, 1.3 million viewers, that was a pretty good, even like seven years ago, that was just a really good HBO World Championship boxing number. And it's not even that long ago. Before that, I mean, HBO would regularly beat that. The TV market has changed so much since then. It's not a fair comparison. It's apples to oranges. But still, I'm just pointing it out. I mean, that's, you know, as things have developed, that's where we're headed. The demos that PBC gets are not that impressive so far. I mean, there's notable successes and, and you know, Fox is going to have, there's a lot more live sports and live entertainment to and, and ways to promote it. But like I said, a lot of the promotion that went to fights on the network early on, which was supposed to expand the audience base, that's now going to pay-per-view, which doesn't expand the audience base. You look at ESPN, I mean, ESPN is clearly directed top rank to send a lot of their best inventory to ESPN Plus rather than terrestrial ESPN. And I personally would love to see a lot of that impressive scheduling they did last year uh, in the fall to be used more often, and we'll see some of it this fall. This year we saw more throwaway dates. I mean, even some comically bad ones come when, like, they literally had a fight going on in the same moment, literally against Canelo in the ring against Danny, Danny Jacobs. Like, those throwaway dates, they bring that average down. But guess what? Like, they all count. And if the mandate was to keep the average viewership up on terrestrial ESPN, a lot of these shows that, that ended up landing on ESPN Plus would have been on ESPN. ESPN offers a lot more reach than HBO did in terms of how many homes it's in, but that average viewership is kind of like some HBO Boxing After Dark late-stage ratings. You know, it's you, you sit there and you don't think, oh, six to 700,000 viewers, is that expanding the sport? No, I mean... Now, like I said, those numbers would be a lot better if the best stuff from ESPN Plus was on ESPN. But they're not. They're on ESPN Plus. And that leads back to my overall point. If you really want to grow boxing, there needs to be a professional league. Even another point of pride that a lot of core fans have about the sport, which is how much of the, how much of the top fighters are getting paid and what percentage of the revenue these these and I'm using top fighters as the example here. That's there's part of that that's like a false narrative to this point, and and we take pride. I take I personally take pride in that 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 the fighters get paid such a high percentage. You know, the the guys, uh, you know, John Nash and Paul Gift, Jason Cruz, like they've done a great job covering this with the UFC hearings. I mean, they're covering it from the MMA standpoint. Um, and they're talking about other combat sports. I mean, we need to remember, though, that UFC isn't an actual league. It's a promotional company and a, and a content entity, just like Top Rank and PBC. And, and, you know, the documents that showed that the UFC, they're only giving their fighters somewhere around 20% of the total revenue as opposed to boxing, where it's revealed, hey, Golden Boy was giving, like, maybe it was higher in other years. One year is as low as 60%, which is still way better than any other professional league top rank one year, you know, most of the years, I think it was in the seventies. One year was, it was like 80% of the revenues they gave to the fighter. And I mean, I don't think PBC, PBC's numbers came out. It's generally assumed that PBC is, is around that range, maybe even a little bit higher, you know, for PBC, but in that 80% range, but these are still content companies thinking of how to grow their own content company, not really grow the sport. Like, yeah, it's great if you can grow the sport, but it's 
way more important to grow top rank or PVC. And how do you do that? You don't invest in the sport as a whole. You try to steal part of the pie at other places. You develop into individual fighters yourself or you steal good fighters from other promotional companies. You grow your pie. Even in this day and age where there's all this new money coming into boxing, that's still the mentality. You know, before Top Rank and PBC were able to get network deals, which to their credit, they did grow the pie for the sport by doing that. Both of them did. The pie was just what was at HBO, Showtime, and Pay-Per-View. So even back then, it was more important to steal from other people's pie than to grow your own. And that just sort of seeped into the culture. And even though Top Rank and PBC did grow the overall pie, it, you know, that mentality's still there. I mean, you look at what the NFL or NBA does, I mean, they literally grow their sport. Even right now, in the TV market which we're in, which is one of the more brutal TV markets for entertainment, I mean, just maintaining flat viewership in anything right now is just looked at as a massive success. The NFL is still actually seeing gains. You know, and and even if you're not just looking at growing your sport, but providing a larger structure to the sport, I think it's just super important to fix all the complete screw-ups that happen in this sport. I mean, you want to prevent the stupid shit that happens, like what happened during Mexican Independence Day weekend. Like, that whole weekend was just like a... a like I said, how on-brand is that for boxing? It's just... It, it's brutal. And it's not to say that the NFL and the NBA don't have moments like that, but they're able to react to them so much better. They're able to prevent a lot of them, and, and they're able to grow their sport and their, and their brand. You know, going back to just growing boxing, I mean, how does boxing do that? Let's look at it from two different perspectives. I mean, you know, in one, even if boxing doesn't form a league, the revenue that, you know, the percentage that fighters are getting right now of total revenue might actually hurt them in the long run. And one of the things that UFC and Bellator do better than pretty much any individual boxing promoter is take the professionalization of the business side of things to the next level. And I mean, look, I actually think Top Rank and PBC do pretty well at this considering the circumstances, but they just can't compete with the UFC. UFC has like a lot of employees, like hundreds. Like Top Rank and PBC might have like 30, if that. They'd probably have less than that. Part of the issue here is that if you're just even one of the bigger boxing content providers, like you can't afford to hire people who are specialists in one area. You need people who can do a lot of different things. You know, if you're giving 75% of your revenue to fighters, that gets reinforced even more. So you rely on the network where you have a TV deal to do that kind of stuff for you. That was part of the whole reason I had a job at HBO. But my job wasn't to promote Top Rank or Golden Boy or their brands when they were there. It was to promote the HBO brand. And sometimes those goals align, but a lot of times they don't. Now, I'm not saying that a boxing promoter needs to behave exactly like the UFC here, but maybe a little bit more like them. Again, I'll say I'm proud of how much revenue the fighters get in the sport of boxing compared to any other sport. It's by far the highest, but let's be realistic here. Taking that much is a serious impediment to growing the sport overall. It creates this one-night stand mentality. Which, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of things in boxing create this one-night stand mentality. Let's look at it from an issue like sponsorship. All these promoters have sponsors, but very few of them treat the sponsors as true long-term partners. There are a few notable exceptions here, but I mean, if you compare it to the UFC, we're talking like way different levels. And then if you compare the UFC to like the NFL, we're talking way different levels there. The UFC is still a promoter, but they can scale these operations. And when you have full-time employees that can go out and get sponsorship deals, and then other full-time employees whose entire job it is to maintain great relationships and then integrate those sponsors into your product, that is a huge advantage to growing your revenues. Like, Does that mean Terrence Crawford should take a pay cut? Or Canelo or Ryan Garcia should take a pay cut so Top Rank or Golden Boy can do that? I mean, probably not if you're those fighters. I'm sure there are fighters at the UFC who will 
gladly say the UFC has you know too many employees and they should get rid of them so the fighters can make more money. But at the same time, they're probably very happy with how much the UFC gets in terms of sponsorship money, international sales money, all that kind of stuff, because that's making the entire pie larger. You know, boxing is just basically dependent on a network devoting more money to their boxing budget. And that leads to the next level of what boxing can do to grow. I mean, my guy Kurt Emhoff has been talking about this all the time, but if boxing was run like a professional league, league where the best fought the best and there was a set schedule and all that kind of normal professionalized stuff that we see from a league like the NFL or the NBA, it would grow the sport. It would probably figure out how to maximize revenue from TV deals, and that's just TV. The leverage of having all these bigger promoters negotiate together is significant. When you move on to other parts of the business, like just look at what the NBA and NFL do. Like they truly maximize their leverage with sponsors, international rights, ticket sales. They demand a professionalism of best practices and innovation. And you can even see stuff like ha- like this happening in esports, where we're talking like leagues that are two or three years old. Like they understand the importance of having competent people in key spots to figure out these issues. When there are like fan concerns over issues or certain you know, practices that affect the NBA's brand, they're incredibly responsive to that. And part of the reason they're responsive is because they can staff a league office pretty well and hire people with specialized experience. They care about the relationships they have with their broadcasters, and they employ a ton of people who are concerned about their brand, their rights, their revenue, not Fox's or HBO's brand or anything like that. I mean, they care about the NFL or NBA or MLB brand. And they're so well-staffed. If you look at the NFL and NBA and MLB, they're so well-staffed, they created their own networks essentially as an incredibly expensive insurance policy to make sure that they maximize their mainstream TV contracts and and that they'll always get full value. It's it's a huge part of the negotiations that NFL can just say, oh, we'll we'll just broadcast more on the NFL network. I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole because you guys – Kind of get it. I mean, how does boxing get there? Who knows? I don't know. We're way past the point where there's a workable solution for the major promoters to come together and do this. We even talk about simple steps and just becoming more like the UFC or Bellator would be important in my opinion. I mean, boxing for years has always had quote-unquote greedy promoters. But that's really only part of the issue here. I mean, I think like it's more about this one-night-stand relationship that boxing can't get out of. And I think that's more of the issue than greed. I mean, sometimes greed can be good or at least improve innovation. Jerry Jones has talked about this at length with the NFL. When he bought the Cowboys, he was extremely leveraged. So he was forced to innovate and grow his team's revenue streams in order not to lose the team. He was forced to take risks. The major narrative hear about what the pay cable industry did to boxing, at least in a negative way, was that it brought less eyeballs on the sport. But really one of the lasting legacies would just be the power of TV money and how even in a sport like boxing that suffers from long-term thinking, it made the thinking even more short-term. It really, the TV money was good enough that... You could, I mean, look, the, the really negative way would be to say it made the promoters lazy. I don't think it did that, but it made them, they, it no longer incentivized them to care as much about maximizing other revenue streams. Because, let's be honest, neither pay cable outlet had relationships with sponsors. Like HBO just very clearly has a policy of no sponsors. So the boxing didn't, you know, they had to establish those relationships on their own. And then they wrote such big checks, the gate became an afterthought. I mean, that stuff is starting to change now because of these new network deals. Like, you're starting to integrate the sponsors back into it. But the sport's still fragmented. I mean, not, not much of that may ever change. But if you want to grow boxing, at least in the short term, then Eddie Hearn needs to take some of the revenue from KSI versus Logan Paul and staff up with people that can be, you know, increase the long-term viability of Matchroom in the United States. Same thing with PBC and Top Rank and Golden Boy. Can't just be Al making fights on his flip phone. 
or Aaron pulling strings behind the scenes or Eddie Hearn, you know, being a social media star and doing interviews. And I don't know what's going on at Golden Boy. Back when PBC was rumored to be bought by Endeavor, we would have seen a version of what this would have looked like because Endeavor could have used the same employees who are right now working on the UFC to work on PBC and grow the revenue in those ancillary areas and actually probably use it all as leverage because you own both of them. I do want to emphasize that's ultimately good for fighters. They will see some of that trickle down, but there's a balance here. You can't give 80% of your revenue to fighters and expect your side of the street to also get the business part right. When you take that much, it's just, it's only going to be TV revenue and that's it. You know, I'm not all about the UFC taking 20% or, 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 or giving 20% to the fighters and that's it. But there's an obvious positive effect to MMA for them being able to only take 20% from fighters. And then be able, look, it affects the fighters in a major way when they behave as a monopoly or a monopsony in the marketplace. But it also affects their revenues in other areas in, in, in a great way. And it certainly has made the UFC, and for that matter, Bellator, more valuable as companies. And I'm not judging that as right or wrong. But you look at their value respective to the value of boxing promotional companies, and it's clear that MMA promotions are worth a lot more. One of the things we've seen from those hearings is how much revenue MMA promotions get from their TV deals compared to boxing promoters. And the unfortunate reality for boxing is that the proof is in the pudding on this. Bellator and UFC are way less reliant on TV money as a percentage of their overall earnings than any boxing outfit. I mean, obviously, it's still the number one part of their revenue. But it's much closer to 50% of their overall revenue. As a, a, you know, boxing, I mean, God, it's not even going to be close to that. That should be alarming to fans because this current TV boon that we're in may not continue for that much longer. I'm not going to say it's a bubble like some others have said, but it is unsustainable long term in, in this current model. If boxing did have a league or some kind of professionalization, just in terms of organizing everything, I think it would actually be incredibly sustainable and there would be upward mobility and all parties would benefit. But it's boxing. Okay, on to the preview section. On Friday, September 27th from London on ESPN+, Plus, we have Daniel Dubois fighting Ebenezer Tete for a Commonwealth title, and then Nicole Adams fighting Maria Salinas for Adams' WBO women's flyweight title. Dubois is somewhere between a 45-1 to and a 100-1 to favorite. But I am officially interested in Daniel Dubois at this point, even if this won't be a competitive fight. Then let's just talk about the big one here. On Saturday, September 28th, from L.A. on Fox Pay-Per-View, we have Errol Spence Jr. versus Sean Porter in a welterweight unification fight with the IBF and WBC titles at stake. Also on the card, Anthony Durrell fighting David Benavidez for Durrell's WBC super middleweight title. Mario Barrios versus Batir Akhmedov for a vacant WBA regular junior welterweight title. And Josecito Lopez versus John Molina Jr. Spence started out as a closer favorite, I think in the 3 or 4 to 1 range. He is now 9 or 10 to 1. Benavidez is about a 7 or 8 to 1 favorite when I last checked. I have a lot of thoughts on this pay-per-view. I will probably either have an extended discussion about it next episode or this will just be the deep dive next episode. This might be the ultimate experiment on the Fox end of what they can do. I've talked a lot about what Fox is doing on the pay-per-view side over the last few episodes, and, and like I said, I'm guessing this will be my next deep dive. What happens here in terms of pay-per-view, pay-per-view buys is critical for the future of Fox and PBC, maybe more critical than any other fight. I mentioned this on Twitter, um, but I know a lot of people who listen to this show aren't on there, so I'll rehash it just for a second. Depending on who you talk to, estimates are all over the place on how this is going to perform. Even with everyone acknowledging that it's a pretty niche pay-per-view fight to begin with, I mean, I'm at the point where I deal with a lot of different smart people who have intelligent models for how to look at metrics for pay-per-view buys here, and almost all of them point in different directions. 
for Fox in general, I think Spence Garcia was a nice surprise for them. And they even did that without the NFL to promote this fight. But even though Spence was technically the A-side in terms of the poster, in terms of pay-per-view buyer, Garcia was probably the A-side there. And that Dare to Be Great storyline resonated really well with core fans and Garcia's Hispanic fan base. Now we are going to see what the fall Fox machine can do with boxing uh, with the NFL. We're going to see whether or not Errol Spence can be a pay-per-view A-side. In the old pay-per-view world, this would probably forecast somewhere between 150 165,000 pay-per-view buys. Maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher depending on the date and how it's marketed. Maybe it could get to 200. Maybe the floor is a little bit lower depending on the same things. Maybe it's only 125. We've seen Fox put a lot of marketing might in the form of awareness, but can they make that conversion from awareness to buys? I don't know. I probably am. I am, I am less optimistic about it than some. I'm more optimistic. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. If this thing hits 300,000 buys, then Fox and PBC should be ecstatic. I actually, with their expectations, I don't know if they will be, but they should be ecstatic there will be a lot of ramifications for this, uh, for all parties, good and bad, if they hit that number. There are really smart industry execs who will tell you that even with Fox's NFL bazooka, it has no shot to break 200. There are others who think that that'll help, but it's still niche, and 250 is probably the cap. 300 is like an enormous win. There are those who think 250 is literally the low end of how this could go, and it could get as high as 400. There are a lot of ramifications, again, for all parties, because we're starting to define whether or not Errol Spence can be a pay-per-view draw. His TV ratings history says not yet, and, and maybe not even close. And to all the people who are out there saying that he got a few million viewers who, are, who watched him after the United States men's Olympic basketball team in 2016 won the gold, sorry, that moment has come and gone, and his recent TV ratings are not great, and he didn't capitalize on that. Like, I haven't looked at his Q ratings or name recognition ratings or anything like that. I doubt they're that high. His pay-per-view history is mixed. I mean, for one fight. Like, we, we, I guess I guess more intelligently, it would say his pay-per-view history, we don't know. We don't know what he was for that. I mean, he was really the B-side financially. And he could end up be the kind of A-side. Like, I'll compare him to Miguel Cotto for that. Miguel Cotto... His pay-per-view career, he was an incredibly commercial success as a B-side, but was not stellar as a commercial A-side. He could also, this could also be Errol Spence becoming Floyd Mayweather. We don't know yet. Whatever happens here, we're going to go into it next time. And more importantly, this is going to, the outcome of the fight and the financial outcome of the event are going to have massive impacts on how you watch boxing in 2020. With the outcomes ranging from Spence being in a bunch of terrible fights, maybe on the network, maybe on pay-per-view, to actually seeing the top PBC welterweights fight each other with some regularity, probably which would be on pay-per-view, but I'd still welcome you know, uh, some of that on Fox. It might end up with us getting the Crawford-Spence fight a lot earlier than expected. There's a lot of different ways this could go. Let's talk about Fox's shoulder programming. For me, it's not on the level of what Showtime and HBO's has been in terms of selling the fight. Obviously, in terms of creating the inventory and, and getting it out there to the general public, it's massive levels above what Showtime and HBO have done in the past. Uh, they've made up for that in pure volume. And nice scheduling. It was, I think, a big win for Inside PBC that it came on after football. A lot more people watched it than normally would have. They had that segment during the NFL uh, pregame show. that They have, just in general, a lot of people have watched their shoulder programming. Uh, even the earlier episodes of the Fight Camp and stuff like that was drawing, you know, six, 700,000 viewers, which actually, if you compare it to HBO's early 24-7 numbers, and I'm not talking about Floyd versus Oscar, which aired after Sopranos and talking about the other stuff is actually, I mean, very similar numbers. And when you cumed the HBO numbers, they, they got to be a lot higher than that. Um, but I still view that as a very positive thing in terms of the, you know, actual fight. I've maintained this, I view Spence and I, and for again, Crawford for, for two, you know, Crawford too, for that matter. 
as generational talents. Um, I actually think Sean Porter is probably Spence's toughest fight on the PBC side of the street, maybe even by a significant margin, which adds another layer to what potentially happens next for Spence if he wins. If I was in charge of selling this fight, I would not be selling it the way they're doing it. They're selling it as a 50-50 unification fight. I don't think casuals will respond to that. Uh, right now, I'm predicting 225 to 250,000 buys in terms of what the number would be. Like I said, there, I, I, very intelligent people have given me numbers higher and lower than that. Uh, if it was me, in terms of the actual sell, I would be selling Errol Spence as the next Floyd Mayweather inside the ring as the next generational talent, as the next can't-miss talent from the PBC side of the street and from Fox's inventory of boxers. He's who you need to know. He's the next big thing. But we're going to talk about this more next time. All right. Following weekend, Saturday, October 5th, from New York on to Zone, we have Sergei Derevchenko fighting Gennady Golovkin for the vacant IBF middleweight title. Also on the card, Ali Akhmadov fighting at super middleweight and Ivan Branchik versus Gabriel Bracero. Triple G is like a four or five to one favorite. This is a very strong offering from DAZN, especially really the main event. The, the other stuff, you know, I don't know if we... Akhmadov and Branchik, they, they will likely win. Um, but the main event is a very good one. It's not one that's going to attract subscribers. It is, it is a very good fight, though. And... I think there will be some significant ramifications for the middleweight division, depending on the outcome here. I mean, Triple G is a favorite, not as big of a favorite as, as you would have made him even a year ago. And this is a risky fight for DAZN. I mean, they are counting on Canelo and Triple G to fight in 2020. Canelo has come out very much against that. And look, Triple G is still a major TV draw. Uh, don't He hasn't been out in the public as much, but don't discount that. If you just look at his audience numbers from the HBO days, he is a major, major TV draw on his own as an A-side. He will, again, not be someone who draws subs for DAZN, but this is an important fight because he needs to win a title. I don't think he just needs it because Canelo is asking him to do it. I think DAZN needs him to fight Canelo, and if he doesn't, what DAZN needs him to be is the catalyst that cleans up the rest of the division which means he's got to win this fight, and then the other guys in this division either need to fight each other with the winner fighting him, or they just all need to end up fighting. That includes Andre and Charlo, if, if Heyman's going to let Charlo come over. It, it just it all needs to be figured out, whether it's Mungia moving up, whether, you know, whether it's Jacobs moving back down, which I don't think will happen. The rest of this mess needs to get cleaned up. Canelo says he wants to come back down and fight at middleweight after the Kovalev fight. He is going to be incredibly vulnerable. Any fighter coming down two weight divisions is going to be incredibly vulnerable. That is a huge opportunity for whoever's going to get Canelo next. So look, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's going to be the best chance to beat Canelo. Uh, and and whether it's Triple G who gets that opportunity, whether it's Andre, whether it's even Charlo, who knows? You know, whether it's Mugia. I mean, I don't think Mugia is that talented, but. Uh, that's me, and, and Mungia could come out here and win. Whether it's Derevchenko. Derevchenko could could be Triple G. There's certainly pathways for him to win. And he, he could be the guy who then beats Andre and, and, and cleans up this, this part of the division. But th this is a big fight from that perspective, and that kind of angle has been getting slept on a little bit. All right, same night, Flint, Michigan, and on Showtime, we have Clarissa Shields versus Ivana Habazin for the vacant WBO Women's Junior Middleweight title. Not a lot of other competitive fights on this card. All right, we are done talking here. The rest of the fall is amazing. It is an incredibly strong boxing run. There's basically going to be a great fight almost every single week from here on out. There's hardly going to be any time off, uh, and if there's not a great fight, there's certainly going to be a big commercial fight. Let's 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 couch it and say that. But this is this is really going to be the start of, of a special special run, and I hope I hope it can all continue. I hope that every major network and and company that's in boxing right now does not screw this up, and 
and is able to continue because if this is this is a lot of content, but if this is if this fall is the type of, of run that we're gonna get, like you are crazy for not enjoying this if you're not enjoying this. Or you are crazy it, it, it there there is no single promotional or TV network that's not giving you excellent quality. May, even Showtime is coming back. I mean that that you know the Lumen card isn't big names in October, but like they're coming back with with a pretty strong card there. Um especially with what's happening on on Fox pay-per-view really hopefully regular Fox 2 and and with what's happening on ESPN plus and, and you know there's a couple big fights on ESPN as well and especially God I mean DAZN is putting an incredible offering in enjoy it I look if I'm being honest I do not think it'll last so enjoy it uh, I don't know whether that means we get another year of it another two years of it but enjoy it now. We'll talk in two weeks. I don't know what my next deep dive is going to be. Probably, oh, I've mentioned it, but it'll, pro- it'll probably just be the pay-per-view results next time. And then I don't know what we'll do after that. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Did you get what you was looking for?